Welcome to NPR Studios. We're coming to you from Portland downtown waterfront where it was raining earlier today and the sun is now shining on Fremont Bridge. I'm here with Britta Hill, who's a student at Portland State University studying a master's in computer science, and Maury Whalen, who's the VP of Software Engineering at Ampere. My name is Kristen. I'm a co-host for Ampere Studios. We're going to have a conversation today on careers and technology and the future of cloud computing. And let's get started. Let's do it. Maury, it's good to be here with you. Thanks, you wear, Britta. You wear a lot of hats at Ampere. You do a lot of things. What do you enjoy most about your current position? I enjoy most the way everything changes because every day you wake up and something different has happened in the industry or we at Ampere have decided that we're going to take a different direction and so it's a matter of figuring out what success is always going to look for us and changing the team, the team structure, the engineering to meet that new direction so we're always on top and leading and successful. Excellent. During during a time of disruption and, and change in the cloud computing industry, how do you keep our ship on course? Best thing to do to keep a ship on course is always prioritize what's actually the most important. One of the things I always try to do is say, in the next six months, in the next year, how are we going to define success? And keeping that success defined and then clarity within your team, because your team always needs to know what they're doing. I always have an expectation that myself and people on the team, you always should be able to articulate what you're doing. Why is it hard? Because if something's not hard, why are we doing it? And then I think one of the most important things is also, why does it matter? What's the value of it? And then that kind of goes back to that success statement as you are actually doing something with clarity so you know what success looks like so that the company is successful at the end of the day. How do you hone the skills that have gotten you to where you are now? You know, I thought about this for a while on how do you get the skills to get where you're at today? A lot of it is really keeping up with the trends that are going on in the industry. You can't just always be on par and be content with where you're at, especially in this industry. You know, with a billion devices connected to the internet, the way our online shopping has changed, the way we actually are using technologies in our home. If you're not continually reading and talking to people and staying engaged and really getting out into the ecosystem, because the ecosystem, you know, customers are using what you are actually producing. The ecosystem is developing what you're doing. And it's a very collaborative effort, especially, you know, internet, open source projects, everything about the server, the cloud. There's so much collaboration that goes on with other companies, with other startups, people that are just, you know, innovating so rapidly, you need to continually put yourself out there and really become engaged and have a a lot of allies in this business. Because if you don't keep up with them, they will just literally go on without you. And you also want to put yourself into a leadership role, you know, going back to if you're just doing things to be on par with everybody else, you're going to have a very short shelf life. You really have to figure out where you're going to go in the next six, and I actually look out about two years, right? How do you know you're going to be successful in two years from now? How do you know you're actually going to be leading? 
And a lot of that is the deep collaboration with other people, with customers, with your stakeholders upstream. I want to I want to ask a little more about being comfortable with taking on the hard challenges and recognizing the hard challenges are worthwhile. Where do you think that comes from? And it and it resonates with me because we have a saying in our family. I'm raising a little kid, and we like to say we do the hard things, right? You do the hard things. Where do you think that comes from in your life, that willingness to take on the big, messy, hard things? You know, going back to you said a child, right? So what do kids do? They just jump in with both feet. They don't know the consequences of anything. And so everything to them could be viewed as hard because, but not knowing the consequences is actually the best thing. And sometimes I even tell myself, you know, I have a 12-year-old and 15-year-old boys. Sometimes I'm like, just put myself into that 12-year-old brain. Jump in with both feet. You can do anything because you have no idea where the consequences are. And I tell myself sometimes, sometimes we limit ourselves because we know the consequences or we think we know from past experiences. But if you switch it around and just take on the mindset, it's just like, just jump in and start going and see where you end up. And a lot of that comes from just having that mindset, it's pure mindset. I think a lot of times, too, I read a lot from Brene Brown. And one of her big things is, who do you also admire the most? Do you admire the person that goes into their arena? And they might be going into their arena, working on something, and then they get just get really beat up from it. They fail, right? And then they come out of the arena, but who do you admire even more than that person? You admire the person that goes in the second time. They're not as afraid of taking risks and going and seeing if they're going to be successful or if they're just totally going to get beat up. But just keep getting up and going back and trying because eventually you will find the winning way. And this is how we will get Amphir to actually be successful. That takes a lot of courage. That brazenness is really important. How would you describe your management style? Is that is brazenness and courage something you try and foster in the people you manage? I think one of the things, one, I'm very open. I'm very candid with people. You know, if you try to manage and leave too many elephants in the room, you end up getting nothing accomplished because people will just tiptoe around and not talk about anything. So being open... And then also instilling that psychological safety that people will also come to you when things are going right and things are not going right. Because if things are not going right, you want to be able to course correct early. And you need to have a, a management style. And I like to think that I have that management style that does bring amount of safety that people can talk about anything. So really just being open and candid. I think another thing, too, is going back to the clarity is people really need to know what we're going toward, what success looks like. And the most important thing to that is also why does not matter? Because the more that we know why something matters or something has value, the more people tend to invest into it when they're seeing something returned, right? One thing I've, I've observed you have the capacity to stay incredibly calm in the middle of chaos. Like everything is a storm and yet you're the calm in the storm. How, how did that come about? Is that something that's deep in your personality that you've already always had? Have you grown that over time? 
I don't actually always feel that way. (laughs) I remember I heard somebody say once, it's like, sometimes I feel like a duck, right? When you see a duck on the water, they're all calm and just kind of sailing along, but their feet below them are just, (laughs) right? So I often feel like a duck. But I think you get to a point where, you know, call it emotional maturity, keeping your emotions intact is really the best thing to do because things in your career, they're going to go right and they're also going to go horribly wrong. And knowing that people are also not robots and things do happen, I think inherently we all operate with best intention. People really like to do the right thing. People like to succeed. And when things go wrong, even with best intention where we thought we were doing something correctly, it does ruffle people. And sometimes as a manager, as a leader, you have to be that person that somebody can come to and they might be all ruffled. And you have to set context again, right? We are in a very challenging, very fast moving industry. We are changing the way people actually use servers and silicon in the world. When things do get a little bit ruffled, let's just regroup, you know, keep our eye on the bigger picture and keep moving forward. Because as long as we can kind of regroup and get our composure again, we'll eventually get to our bigger goals. There are a lot of ways this industry could go, and it seems like Ampere is poised to jump into it in the best way. Where do you see this company going in in five or ten years? Nirvana for me is when people are actually asking our stakeholders, our major vendors, for our hardware. You know, for example, we work with a lot of the bigger Linux distributions, So if somebody would actually call one of these Linux distributions, they'd call Canonical, they would call Red Hat, they would call Oracle and say, hey, we want to use your distribution and we want to use it on Ampere hardware. That to me is total where we actually want to see ourselves, right? Has your career developed the way that you thought it would go? You'd mentioned earlier that you plan in two-year increments. Two, four, eight years ago, did you see yourself here? Absolutely not. When I graduated from college with a computer science degree, the next, literally the next day, I was sitting in the office at the head of the computer science department, Dr. Carpenter, and I was basically saying, now I have no idea what I want to do. So here I am with this fresh degree. All my friends that I had in the computer science department all had jobs lined up, and none of the jobs that they had lined up seemed very appealing to me, so I just had no idea what I wanted to do. And I was kind of doing soul searching with him, like what else is out there? So what I did was I took advantage of a program and moved to London and really did what was at the time called a lot of desktop publishing because I was one of the few people that knew how to use a Macintosh. Um, and just kind of did a lot of soul searching on what else was in the computer industry that wasn't purely, at the time it was a lot of COBOL programming, uh, and that's not what I wanted to do. And so I just traveled around and did kind of odd database type of jobs for about a year. So I, I really didn't start out knowing what I wanted to do. Like a lot of my friends just out of college that were on this really hardcore tech path. And I eventually, when I got into working more with software, more with technology, really gravitated toward really good 
um, I would say, quality practices because it came, you know, it's very um, important to me that you set really solid foundation in a lot of the software practices that we do. If you really don't have a solid core infrastructure in place, you will end up finding cracks within your system later on, and then you will become a firefighter. And it was always my goal not to become a firefighter because after you fight a couple fires, you your continuous learning mindset kicks in and you're like, I don't want to fight fires anymore. I actually want to continuously learn and continuously improve so we're not always fighting fires. And this is one of the areas that I'm really trying to build at Ampere that we've been quite successful at is we have a continuous regression system happening so that, you know, when you look at something like the Linux kernel, that just has, you know, thousands of changes that are happening every, you know, eight weeks or so. I mean, it's, it's crazy amount of changes that actually happen upstream and upstream projects, Linux kernel. We want to make sure that we're always taking these changes and running them on Ampere hardware and doing a lot of test and validation just to keep everything really solid and keeping firmware really solid, keeping operating system really solid really means that the really creative solutions with other software that people run on top of you, they don't have to worry about what's underneath of you. And when things are solid, when they're re recreatable, when they're repeatable, it's just instilling that quality that our stakeholders and customers, they should demand from us. Throughout your career, as you've honed your skills, what stood out to you as the best ones for avoiding getting into firefighting situations? I think some of the best skills to have that I've learned along the way is really about communication. If you sit in your area, in your cube, in your office, and are working on something and nobody knows what you're doing, you may as well not do it because it is going back to knowing what you're doing, why it's hard, and why it matters. If there's no why it matters to anybody except for you sitting in your cube, then it's just, it's really a waste of time. And knowing how to communicate those things. Because for me as a leader, it's most important for me to say, hey, in the next six months, in the next 12 months, in the next two years, here's where we're going. And then it's important from having that vision statement, having that clarity that people on my team actually know how they're contributing to it. And if they don't have what I give them as where we're going, how do they know with what they're actually doing that they're bringing value to that overall statement, right? And so literally communicating, what are you doing? Why is it hard? And why does it matter? That deep sense of purpose. Yeah. I really feel that here, even as an intern, as someone who's only been here for five weeks, I feel that and everybody that I've encountered. And I have friends who are also doing computer science at other companies. And some of them use the churn and burn technique, which really worries me. And it seems like Ampere is at the polar opposite end of that management technique where people are valued and understood and heard instead of used as disposable. Have you been part of companies that have used that kind of technique before? And have you had experiences that have convinced you that this is that Ampere's method is the best one? I might have worked places that was more churn and burn. I might not have fully realized it at the time. But I think just through many years working in the industry, knowing why something is important and why you're working on something, I think 
you know, probably over the last 10, 15 years has become so important to me. And maybe it's because of me managing teams, managing larger teams, and just the overall learning of it. I don't think I've seen it in a long time, the, the whole churn and burn, right? Just like, just, just get this done, right? There's got, there's got to be a reason for it. I think also you need to, in this communication, also listen to what people are telling you. There are many different generations here at Ampere that are working on technology. We all use technology different. You need to also listen to other people's ideas and other people's way of using different things because you're going to find golden nuggets along the way that you didn't know existed that I as a leader and like, oh, we need to invest in that. That's actually a great idea. But if you don't stop to listen to what people are actually telling you and you're just burning through like, oh, we got to get this done, you know, in in 10 days, you've really got to stop and listen. So you're bringing the best of people to work every day. You'd mentioned Brene Brown. She's also an inspiration for me. And I'd noticed on your LinkedIn page, you follow Oprah. What about these powerful women do you admire? I think with Brene, it is really the whole arena concept that she often puts in a lot of her talks, right? I think she called it, who, who, do you, who do you consider a badass is the word she used, right? The person that goes into the arena and gets the shit beat out of them, right? If I have to say it like she says it, right? And just to, you know, sometimes you have to stop and think in your career, what am I really doing? What am I really impacting? And if I'm not being a badass, why am I actually doing it? So that's kind of the, for me, the whole Brene thing. She, there's definitely much more to her. For Oprah, I think sometimes it brings you back to just your own grounding and your own mindset, how to be grateful, you know, maybe bringing in things like meditation into your overall life, how to prioritize. Somebody told me very early on in my career when I was kind of going through the work-life balance struggle, you know, I have two kids trying to keep up with everything. Maury, don't work-life balance prioritize always figure out what's the most important to you and make those things a priority. And when I started looking at things as a priority opposed to a balance, because we never balance anything, and the, but the prioritization has really helped me with the mindset. And that's what I like about some of these other women is they also talk about being grateful, getting into the mindset, remembering to do this, you know, don't sweat the small stuff, those type of things. When you're juggling things and solving maddening problems every day, I imagine that it can be difficult to put your finger on one like truly maddening problem. But if one were to stand out to you as something that really had you stumped and that you're really proud of having solved, what might that be? Probably in my career, some of the one of the biggest learnings I have had and, and something the biggest thing to solve goes back to continuous integration, continuous regression systems. It In my career, I have brought up some really robust continuous regression systems to give the quality that's needed to the product that you're working on and making sure that you don't ever regress in that quality. Because I've been bitten many times where all of a sudden you wake up and it's like, oh, why doesn't it work today? Why doesn't it work today? And you kind of like after that happens a couple of times, like, I, I'm never saying that again. We're, we're going to make some process. So we always say, guess what? We know it works. We know why it works. 
And if it does break, bam, we can course correct it literally in seconds, right, opposed to days. And that's probably an accomplishment that I've had in my career that I'm extremely proud of. So even as you're testing and, and working with the projects that you have here at Ampere, what are what are the best practices that you drive your employees to consider when it comes to testing and ensuring that we get ahead of the problems? So it is, you know, going back to, you can be on par with everybody else or you can actually lead. And some of the best practices, one literally is communication. That should be considered a BKM. You need to figure out how to communicate what you're doing and make sure that other people also know the value in it. Otherwise, it literally means nothing to them. So I'm always trying to work with people within my team on how we actually communicate, whether it be writing our objectives and key results so we keep everybody grounded, whether it's being writing app notes, doing just doing something just in a status report. What are you doing? Why are you doing it? Why does it matter? So communication is a BKM. You mentioned earlier having that mindset of being like a 12-year-old and having the brazenness to jump into something without considering the consequences and just go for it. What skills would you recommend someone new to software engineering hone? Somebody new that's getting into software engineering, use I would say tell them, use your resources. And that's something I wish I would have learned in my career earlier on. When I first started my career, I didn't use a network very much. You know, you kind of feel like, oh, I should just go figure this out on my own and I should know everything. And then you, when you realize, just for me, just how much goes into a software stack, everything when you're getting, you know, down to the hardware, up into firmware, up into the operating system, to the middleware, to the applications running on top, you know, you have compilers on the side, you have the different best known practices for build systems, security scans, that type of thing. All of a sudden you realize it's like, oh, I can't know everything. And using more of your network and keeping engaged with other people that are working in the areas that you're working in, so you can literally exchange and swap ideas with them, you will always learn something from somebody else, whether they're working in your area or you encounter something that maybe you don't know. Sure, you can go educate yourself about it, but you can get to a point too where you should use more of your network and your resources. And there are definitely a lot of communities that are online or even communities within your own company that you can go and tap into. And you find everybody likes to help. But again, early on in my career, I didn't. I felt like I just had to keep it all to myself and I had to know it all, right? But then you find when you actually go, you know, tap on somebody's door and say, hey, can you explain this to me? I don't quite understand how this works. People love to tell you what they're doing. They love to show you off their work. They love to help you. There's, there's definitely value in doing that. And you find too that as you're growing your career, one of the important things as you grow your career is also giving back. Because you want to make sure that things that you have learned, you're also helping other people with just kind of that continuous learning process. Absolutely. If there was one nugget of wisdom you could go back and tell your 20-year-old self fresh out of college, what would that be? I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) I would probably, if I had to go back and tell my 20-year-old self 
something to change, it would be learn how to communicate more about what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. I was pretty crappy at writing status or very early on in my career. Um, And it wasn't so much status like, oh, you have to do a monthly status report. It was just really sitting down and articulating what I was doing. And more importantly, the to me, I always harp on this, is knowing the value of it. Because how do you fit into the bigger picture? And I think as we grow our careers, you need to learn that more and more is how do you fit into the big bigger picture? So is, if Ampere is going to be successful in two years from now, what am I doing now to actually make that happen? I wish I would have invested more in, a, in the bigger picture. I wish I would have tapped more into other resource that was available to me and not trying, not tried to think that I just need to learn it all. So those are two, probably two of the bigger things. It seems like in order to communicate the value of something you're doing, you have to be convinced of what you're doing, of your own value. How do you fuel that confidence? Or is it just, at this point, a constant state of being? Or you just jump in and just start going and see where you end up um, and work in a very agile way. I mean, there's some things that are tried and true and we can plan out and we have BKMs and we know how to do. And there's other things that we just need to jump in and see where they end up. Because you kind of know that something is a really good idea. You're not too sure how to get it done, but you're just going to jump in and, and see how it goes. Or, you know, Steve Job has some quote out there, which I probably can't say verbatim, but it's like you put the right people in the room and magical things will happen. So if you do really assemble people that have that right mindset to actually go make something happen together, it, it, it ends up happening. You live at the intersection of hardware and software. You work at a hardware company. And as the software is pushing innovation and acceleration, what about that story or that even that tug of war is most exciting to you? You know, one real example that we're faced with right now, being a new company and having to make sure that we do have those rock solid processes and being very agile because Ampere is actually only so big, right? We really have to look at scale. When you look at the software ecosystem today, and again, going up that entire stack from firmware all the way up to applications, there are millions of projects out there, and then you couple that with the amount of configuration changes you can make, it's crazy. And so one of the things we're doing at Ampere is is making sure that we do create things like firmware. Very simplistic, very fundamental, but also very important is making sure that that firmware, we don't have one copy for every customer that we have. We have one copy that then has knobs that a certain customer can tune to their own platform, to their own hardware that we've helped them develop. If we did it the other way where you were a one-to-one ratio, we would literally just kill ourselves literally in six months. And so it's really important to make sure that we have scale opportunities with this ecosystem. Another thing is when you also look at these millions of different software combinations, where do we get the best bang for the buck, right? I mean, you know, every day there are projects incubating, whether it be within the CNCF, whether it be within the OpenStack Foundation, things are continually incubating. And how do we figure out where are we actually going to invest? 
And one of the things that we're also doing is we're investing a lot in languages. So languages, optimizations, tuning, making sure that Arch64 support is really rock solid. Because at the end of the day, all these things are based off of some language. And the more we put investment into the foundation, the less, again, the less problematic things will be on everything that's above the operating system. That's fantastic. So let's see. How has the tech industry changed for someone just getting into it now versus when you first started? The internet happened. <laughs> that was a big one. That's a big one. <laughs> but in all seriousness, right, when I graduated, things were very static as far as projects were concerned. The Again, the internet didn't exist. Collaborative projects didn't exist. It was all proprietary software. And that, to me, is one of the biggest innovations that have happened within this entire industry is just the whole revolution of open source projects, collaborative projects. And I think that definitely is going to be something that just keeps continuing is the very collaborative nature, the way the world works today, where we don't really have proprietary, as many proprietary solutions. There's a place in time for proprietary solutions. Yeah. I'm curious to know, Maury, what drew you to computer science? Was there something particular in your childhood or in an encounter with a mentor that led you into studying or being interested in computers? So when I was in high school, my dad was in the Air Force. I moved all over the world all my life. But then when I was in high school, my junior and senior year, I actually, my parents had moved back to Nebraska, where they were both from. And my dad opened an Apple computer store in the middle of nowhere, Nebraska. I mean, it was North Platte, Nebraska, which is little, the little, a little town. It was not Omaha or Lincoln. And um, I just got to go hang out there all the time. And then we, for some reason, our high school, somebody invested a lot of the Radio Shack TRS 80s into our, our high school. I mean, it was, like, people didn't have this at the time. And I don't remember why we had such an investment into our school. It was probably some rich rancher or something, right? <laughs> And I just got into programming. And my uncles ran a, a bulk plant business. They sold gasoline to farmers, right? And they had a TRSR-80 in their office. And I used to literally, like my mom used to call me at 2 o'clock in the morning, you need to come home, right? Because I just, right? And actually that thing used so much power. Sometimes the power company used to call the office. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, that's just Maury, right? She's still there at 2 o'clock in the morning, right? Doing your basic programming because that's what we were using at the time was basic. Yeah. So I just, it was from my dad's Apple computer store. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have, who knows what well, I would have done. But you gravitated towards it. I did gravitate toward it. But, you know, the, I'll tell you what the hardest part was. None of my friends did. And so here I am with my circle of girlfriends in high school that's so, so important. And none of my friends were into this. And so that's why I was there like at 2 o'clock in the morning, right? Because it was after I left my friends, right? On a Friday night, I literally had a key to their office. Oh, my gosh. And I used to go over there by myself just because I thought it was so much fun. So you were sneaking into the office yes. to learn how to program. That's amazing. But none of my friends were into it. And that was almost... From a social perspective, that was actually really hard. Yeah. Because I would be like, hey, come and do that. You know, this is fun, right? Let's sit around and hack together, right? Not a single one was into it. When you ended up um, working on your CS degree, did you have very many women in your class? Actually, so we, funny enough, 
in that particular those years, this was you know the eight the early eighties, right? Or actually, it was the later eighties. There were actually more women in computer science then than there yeah. probably are now. Yeah. And I had women instructors even, yeah. so you had people that you could associate with. And then I had more people in school that were women, right? It seemed like I had a lot of friends that were women doing computer science, and then we had a lot of foreign exchange students. Mm -hmm. And yeah. since I had traveled so much, I like naturally gravitated to be their friends too. But the, I tell you, in high school, that was the hardest thing is that nobody was into, because you like to, in high school, you, yeah. you're, your you're world friends. is your friends. Yeah, you're, yeah. yeah, and you like to do the same things together, right? And not a single one of them. I have read that in the beginning of computer science yeah. in the 40s and 50s, a yeah. lot of women were programmers and did computer science and software engineering. And then it sort of dipped and then went back up in the 80s and then dipped again. And I've read that it was because of the advent of the com personal computer that fathers would hang out with their sons and mess around with computers together. Yeah. And that, that didn't translate for daughters. And now being in college and seeing as I've progressed through the difficulty levels of courses. In the introductory level courses, it was maybe a third women. Now I'm lucky if I'm one in five in really? a 60 person class. Yeah, I've had one woman instructor, everyone else is men, and it is isolating. It's difficult to feel like I don't have a woman in industry who is a professor who I can look up to and see her career path and hope that mine will go in a similar direction. So what keeps you going? Part of it, part of it is the challenge of it, and feeling like, well, fine. If there are only going to be five of us, we're going to stick it out. Like we're going to change this industry. Why not? Because I am really stubborn, and I am somewhat competitive, and I yeah. think that has been an asset in this field. I do also just like the the grit of it. Yeah, figuring out what the problem is, being really persistent, and and then solving it. It's very satisfying. Good. So I've been focused on doing language testing, and I've dived into Go language, and I've talked, or I've um, learned about testing Node.js and Node.js Express, and it's been cool to feel like I am specializing in something that will carry on in this company beyond my time when I go back yeah. to school. It's wonderful to feel like I can like really contribute something because I have friends at internships sort of doing busy work. This is in no way busy work. And I'm learning so much more from it than I think I would be otherwise. So I, I appreciate that this is the kind of company that you've built here. This is unique. So thank you so much to Maury and Britta for an incredible conversation around technology and career and the exploration of internship and just keeping a growth mindset and growth perspective as we as we innovate as we learn as we push for continuous improvement so we'll be back with future conversations i'm kristen i'm a co-host for ampere studios and we thank you for joining us today thanks kristen thank you, thank you.